and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about what should the definition be of a new build under the government's new tax regulation. This, of course, is where interest costs are not going to be tax deductible for properties after April 2025. But for new builds, the plan is to have an exemption. Now, Andrew, what is the definition of a new build? Well, we don't know. And there's so much being bandied around on the media and on property investors forums at the moment because no one knows and we're trying to figure it out and it's going to make a significant difference to a lot of people. So there is a lot of panic. I read an article at the weekend and there was a guy saying, you know, he just can't afford it. He's like, I don't know where this extra money is going to come. I'm losing sleep over it, which is really, really sad. And because there's kind of mixed messages coming from the government and coming from the media, it is quite hard. So you've got a few clips, Ed. Yeah, so let's talk about those mixed messages because it really is quite interesting where a press release from the government might say one thing, but then at the press conference where the politicians are actually talking about it, they might say something completely different. So the clip we're going to hear comes from David Parkett during that first press conference where they announced these housing changes, and he's pretty definitive about this. Let's hear it. New builds will be exempt to help build housing supply. The details of how they will be exempt will be consulted on. So what he's saying there is there are no ifs or buts about it. They are going to be exempt. We just don't know the details of it yet. But then I was reading Tony's view and he quoted this press release from the Beehive. The full removal of interest deductibility from 1st October 2021 will apply to all investment properties other than potentially new builds purchased on or after 27th of March. Now, potentially is the big word there in terms of, well, are they thinking of doing it? Are they planning on doing it? Or is it a maybe? Or are they not going to do it? In the press conference, Minister Park is really definitive about it. And other areas, both the Prime Minister and Grant Robertson, has been relatively definitive about this. But then you see something written, a written press release, which is maybe a bit more cagey about whether it's going to happen or not. Now, look, my pick is that it's definitely going to happen. They just need to figure out the details of what should be defined as a new build and what shouldn't be. And that's why we're going to be quite active within this and that we're going to go through this period of consultation. So let me just talk about what that process is. And again, it's pretty cagey. Nobody fully knows. But let's talk about what the usual process for consultation is within a piece of legislation. So typically, a policy starts by being announced and the government will draft a bill around it. So they'll actually write the law. Now, sometimes they'll release that initial draft to get some initial consultation from the industry. But if not, then they'll put it through for a first reading and the whole House, the whole Parliament will debate and then vote on whether that bill should be passed through into a select committee process. Now, you just need a majority for that to happen. Labor's got that, that'll happen. That's when we get into the meat of public consultation, which is when you go through into a select committee process. Now, this is typically about six weeks, and that's where they're going to call for and hear submissions. So they'll put out a consultation paper, they'll put out the bill, they'll say this is what we want feedback on, and that's where people like ourselves, Andrew, Property Investors Associations, the Property Investors Federation, probably tenants advocacy groups, landlords and tenants themselves will go to Parliament, make written submissions, they might make oral submissions as well in order to be able to try and shape the bill. At that point, the committee, the select committee I'm talking about here, will report back to Parliament and suggest some changes. Some of those might be accepted, some of those may not be. Then we have a second reading, a debate of the bill, and they vote. 
and then a third reading and a vote after that before it actually becomes law. So the key part where landlords, if they follow the standard process and don't rush this piece of legislation through under urgency, it's at that select committee part where everybody has the ability to write a submission and put it through and some people have the ability to go there, talk in person and make an oral submission to the select committee. So just a question on that, can they race it through under urgency? Yes, they can, because that was exactly how they got through the changes so quickly around the Brightline test. Right. They announced it on Tuesday, and by Saturday it was already in place. Now, the way that that happened was there was a bill already going through Parliament, and I believe... I'm a nerd, but I may not be that much of a political nerd. I believe they attached that new legislation as an amendment to a bill that was going to be passed anyway. So they brought that in at the last minute, said, cool, we're going to introduce this as an amendment, voted, I've got the ability to do that because they've got the majority in Parliament. And this all has to be done by October, right? That's the date that they've put in line for themselves. Of course, they don't have to beat that because they're the government, they can do whatever they want. Now, at the moment, there is no rule that is put in place that says that these policies are changing. It's got to be introduced. But because we've got a majority government, there's a lot more power there to make these changes quickly. Yes, and certainly other governments in the past, like National, have rushed things through under urgency because they needed to meet a specific timeline. Now, let's talk about what that actual definition of a new build should be and what it shouldn't be in some places. So for us, obviously, we completely bias and we admit that, but we think that it firstly needs to be anything that you've bought new directly from the developer. And that's not just properties now, but maybe probably a few years ago. Certainly, if it fell under the LVR exemptions, I think that should all be captured as well. So they've been in place since 2013. If you were good enough to supply property to the housing stock, I think that absolutely that should be included as new. Also, I think that one of the triggers could be if that property is sold within that time frame. Now, if you sell a property to a look-through company or transfer a property to a look-through company or a trust, then that's a sale. I think that those properties which are sold where the beneficial owner is the same, they absolutely need to be considered new as well because you're just maybe looking at something like an asset protection. And if you're using the laws to protect your assets, you should not be disadvantaged in our opinion. We also think that anyone that buys land directly off someone else, whether it's a land developer or a private individual, and then builds a property on that subsequent to that, that absolutely needs to be included as well. Now, again, we think that this needs to be a very wide cast net because it does need to capture anyone who was doing the government a favour and doing tenants a favour by adding to that property supply, which was around these LVR restrictions, that is exactly why they're in place. The exemptions are there to encourage people to put new properties on the market. If you were good enough to do that, you should not be disadvantaged by these new restrictions. Let me ask you something, Andrew. In that case, would you also include somebody who borrows money in order to construct a new minor dwelling at the back of their properties? Should the money that has been borrowed to build the minor dwelling be tax deductible. Absolutely. Because I mean, remember when you're looking at tax, it's always about the intention. And if your intention is to add to that stock, then absolutely. But in that case, just to challenge you on that, just to test it, in that case, a minor dwelling is not necessarily a new tenancy or an added house to the market. No, but it's still housing people. Yes, yes, yes. It's an additional dwelling, which actually, just to backtrack on that, I suppose an extra dwelling could be rented out as an additional tenancy. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And certainly, Elsa talked about that when she was on the show not that long ago. 
So let me talk about how long these exemptions should last. Now, I take a pretty extreme view of this. I think you've got to allow these exemptions to last forever. I think they've got to last for all time because you've got to give the certainty to property investors that if they make an investment, they're not only going to be able to deduct their interest expenses for one year or two years or five years, that it goes on and on and on. Now, that is really going to stack the deck in favour of any property that can deduct those interest payments from their tax bill. So it's really going to mean, hey, there's a big incentive now to go build more houses. Yeah. And I do think as well, if people make a financial decision based on the current laws, it's pretty unfair of the government then to go and change something such an extreme level. If you have built a new property and you're using that as a rental property and you've factored your things in, again, this isn't the loophole that the media are claiming it to be. It's not a loophole at all. It's a legitimate business expense. So therefore, it should absolutely be a broad definition. Now, you might say, Ed and Andrew, that certainly helps you guys because you want to invest in property and you want property investors to still be able to claim as much interest as possible, offset that against your tax bill. But look, I would say, If you allow as many new properties as possible and cast that wide net, there are two benefits for the Labour Party in terms of reaching its aims. Its first aim is obviously to increase housing. Its second aim is to maintain stable rents. And I believe that casting as wide a net as possible to define new builds is not just a good political decision, but one that's going to help them reach their aims. So let's talk about housing stock first. I believe that if you make an exemption for anybody who's bought a new build in the past, an investor who said, actually, I'm going to build something new, add to the housing stock, not only do you keep their goodwill, but then you allow them to be in the position where they can keep investing in new builds because that's been their strategy. If you make them pay more tax to the point where those properties are now going to be negatively geared, they're not able to continue that strategy of buying new builds and continuing to grow their portfolios. And this was actually exactly what one of my investors said to me just this morning. So he's already invested in three new builds. If they were deemed to be old properties now, then he probably will hold off buying the next one until National gets back in and undoes all this. These were his words. So he is actually thinking, you know, if the government now penalises me, I will hold off my plan for a couple of years because I've got time on my side. And so if the government's plan is to build more houses, you've got to allow these people in the past who have bought new builds to still have that ability to continue purchasing. And then it signals to these new build investors additional confidence. It says, hey, if you buy a new build, if you do what we all want you to do, then we're not going to pull the rug out from under you. You're still going to be able to have, I don't want to call it, advantages, it's advantages relative to the alternative, relative to existing properties in that instance. The other thing that this will help to achieve through labour if we cast that wide net is that it will maintain more stable rents than would otherwise be the case. I'm not saying it's going to flatline rents, but it's certainly going to allow rents to be lower than they otherwise would be. Now, why would that be the case? Because then you've got a subset of landlords that don't have much higher tax bills. So when we were talking just before about landlords banding together as a group and then being able to put rent up, that'll certainly happen. But if you've got some landlords who actually don't have to do that because they're not going to have to pay an extra four or five grand worth of tax, then that's going to make rents lower than they otherwise would have been. We'll still see increases, but it won't be the same level of increases. Because of course that creates competition. Because if I now don't 
don't have to worry about an extra $100 a week that I have to find, then I can keep my rents roughly the same as they are. I might increase them $25, but that's all. And therefore, you have options at a cheaper rate. If everyone increases theirs, then that's the new price. So I certainly believe that there are both political and economic reasons why the government should cast as wide a net as possible when defining new bills and including it to be historic. Now, we need to go to Parliament and make our written submissions and our oral submissions, and we're going to be banding together with, I think, some of the other property investors associations to try and speak as one voice and really advocate, not just on behalf of the investors we work with here at Opus Partners, but also everybody listening to the show as well, to make sure that we're having a voice for property investors. And we are taking votes on what Ed should wear to this. I've suggested maybe the same outfit as the guy who stormed the Capitol. You can't say that, Andrew, because then people are going to think that we're QAnon supporters or something ridiculous like that. I was thinking I might wear one of my funky suits just to make sure that they know that we mean business. I promise you, you'll stand out no matter what you wear. (laughs) I was actually thinking we could take some mics and like do it as a podcast or something. (laughs) Shall we just, we'll see if we can enter to the podcast theme song. (laughs) We'll play it on our phones. Hey, look, Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you'd like to meet Andrew and I, remember we are holding property investment dinners in Queenstown, Christchurch, Auckland, and Wellington. We're taking you out for dinner for free. We're able to take 10 people plus partners to each of these. Now, how do you get into the draw to enter? First of all, whip out your phone, follow us on Instagram. We are at opas underscore partners and share something to your story or your feed screenshot that and send it to us at podcast at opuspartners.co.nz and if you leave a review as well wherever you listen to your podcast that's fantastic we'll pop you in the drawer thanks for listening to the property academy podcast i'm your host Ed knight and i'm andrew nickel and we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the new zealand property market until next time 